Good morning, everyone. My name is Nair Swami Diksha, and this is Nair Swami Gandev. I'd like to welcome all of you to this beautiful spring day. And especially, I'd like to welcome those who are here for the first time, those who are taking programs at the Expanding Light Meditation Retreat, and those who are watching us online. I will start by reading from Rays of the One Light, Weekly Commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. The topic of this week is To each according to his faith. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, we read, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. It is a common experience shared by most people that when a person errs, he experiences a desire to hide that error from his conscience instead of holding it up for purification. Error clutches its misdeeds to itself and resists correction. Though it is only in the state of purity that we can achieve perfect freedom. It requires an act of will to offer that awareness up to the light and to hold it there until one's inner darkness is completely dissipated. For every state of consciousness has its own attractive power. And the more we allow that attraction to act upon us, the more we attract to ourselves the objective circumstances and experiences natural to it. Our faith is the attractive power of our underlying state of consciousness. Goodness attracts goodness. It takes goodness even to see goodness. Evil attracts evil. And it takes evil even to see evil. That is, to take special note of its existence. Whatever there is in you of darkness or light, offer it up to the heights, in the supreme light alone will we find salvation. 
accept nothing less in yourself is your lasting reality. As the Bhagavad Gita says in the 12th chapter, Cling thou to me, clasp me with heart and mind, so shalt thou dwell surely with me on high. But if thou thought droops from such height, if thou beest weak to set body and soul upon me constantly, despair not. Give me lower service. Seek to reach me, worshiping, worshiping with steadfast will. And if thou canst not worship steadfastly, work for me. Toil in works pleasing to me. For he that laboreth right for love of me shall finally attain. But if in this thy faint heart fails, bring me thy failures. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. I would like to welcome all of you here and thank you for making the sacrifice of being indoors on such a glorious spring day. Uh, don't get up. <laughs> I wanted to choose a brief reading from Whispers from Eternity, which has a very spring-like quality to it. This book is a book of Poems and Prayer Demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. This one is Make Me Thy Butterfly of Eternity. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but uh, it was the right timing. I have burnt my past, destroying every seed of evil destiny. I have stridden bravely through the strewn ashes of my past and future fears. I am the eternal now, having torn to shreds my enclosing cocoon of ignorance with the sharp knife of free will. Now I am thy soaring butterfly of eternity, flitting freely through immeasurable skies of time. The beauty of my wings I spread out through nature everywhere to entertain all beings. My wings are sprinkled with suns and stardust. Lo, I am beautiful. May every silken thread that shrouded my past folly be severed forever. See, they trail now behind me, only adding to my beauty as I wing my way to my own self in thee.
I think that we all, each year when we come around to this particular reading from Rays of the One Light, we can have a sigh of relief over the Gita reading, which basically says, uh, if you can't do much of anything, it's still okay. Uh, just to ha- hang in there and offer me your failure. Because so much of scripture, so much of the Gita, for that matter, is focused on you know, the, the high bars that get set for us on the spiritual path. The Gita tells us we have to be completely even-minded and non-attached and have no sense that we are the doer. Be fearless, be free of anger, be humble, be serviceful, be loving, and so and the list goes on and on and on. And uh, Jesus is a bit more concise in the, in the Bible. He just says, be therefore perfect. <laughs> And so when this reading comes along, if you you can't do any of that stuff, just give me your failure. There's a certain that that goes on inside of us because uh, it, you know, we we have this this longing to reach for the heights, but at the same time, we might not yet be quite at those heights, and we want a breather. We want, it, we want a break, saying, you know, we're okay. And the Gita gives us this. It's a beautiful, beautiful consolation, but it's not a way out of the work that needs to happen because even though the, you know, the Gita sort of ratchets it down, ratchets down, 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 finally all the way to giving our failures to God, that if in those same verses is the stairway back up step by step by step to get to the top but we you know it's it's challenging sometimes you know we have this this chant here um, that we often do uh, I want only thee Lord thee only thee and I don't know about you but sometimes when I'm chanting that uh, a little voice you know, pipes up in the back of my head saying liar liar pants on fire <laughs> You know, you you want lots of other things. Let me tell you about them. And next thing you know, you've been chanting the chant for five minutes, but all you've been doing in the back of your mind is thinking of all the other things that you want. And you start to think, well, maybe maybe that chant needs to be edited a little bit. Sort of like, I want mostly thee, Lord. Thee, mostly thee. But this is, you know, this is what's, what's put out to us for the simple reason that this is, pos- this is what's possible for us. And that's something that we really need to keep in mind because the, the, it's so easy to get lost in the day-to-day uh, struggles of life, not to mention the day-to-day attempts to raise our consciousness. And, and we, get it, we get up a little bit and we, and we start to think, oh, I'm doing pretty well, you know. Walk the old lady across the street, or whatever, whatever it is I did, and, and we forget what is what is possible. And the masters come not just to tell us what is possible, but to show us through the example of their life what's possible for us. And that that uh, example is always there in front of us to inspire us to to lead us forward. And 
yet we have to watch, watch out that our life isn't only about this longing, or that, about this striving for the ultimate, that there's also an element of acceptance where we are right now. Because if we only think in terms of, of where we need to be and where we want to be, we can get a little bit unrealistic about what we can do right now in the moment. And consequently, perhaps we don't even do that right now in the moment. We don't make the progress that we're wanting to make. And after a time, we get discouraged. And we, we start to, to let down our efforts. So we need to balance that high aspiration with, with acceptance of where we've come to so far. And at the same time, not overdoing the acceptance part either. Because if we're too accepting of where we are right now, we can stay there. We can stay there as long as we'd like to stay there. And you know, as Yogananda used to say, he said, there, there is no standing still on the spiritual path. You're either moving forward or you're moving backward. And if our emphasis is all on accepting where we are right now, without that turning the light on what's possible for us, what we really long for in our heart of hearts, we will. We will go backwards. So it's, it's that, that balance, to attain that balance. And yet the Master's by and large, don't come here to emphasize that balance too much. Uh, they, they emphasize reaching for the highest. You know, uh, right now, Diksha and I are in the midst of teaching an, an online meditation teacher training program, which is a really, it was a wonderful program, wonderful experience. And one of my favorite parts of the program is uh, uh, the discussion forums where we pose a question to all the students in the class. We have, we have uh, 17 students right now, uh, most of them from other countries, so it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, one of the questions we asked early on in the course was, what is, to these potential teachers, what is the most common misconception about meditation that you have run across? And... Uh, we get all kinds of interesting misconceptions, as you can imagine, because most of us have heard them ourselves. That one, this one woman uh, said, uh, this misconception is one that my best friend has. Because this, my best friend just says to me, my mind is too restless to meditate. <laughs> and this woman who's in the course says, and I say to her, that's like saying you're too hungry to eat. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it's true that people just want an excuse to stay where they are. Because it's a lot less work to stay where you are. It's a lot less joy to stay with where you are, but it's also a lot less, less work. And the Master's come to you know, give us that little uh, kick to, to get us going and start to aspire to what our own nature naturally aspires to. You know, there's that peace inside of us that will never rest until we've reached the heights. Because there's that, that feeling inside of us, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. This is the, this is the saving grace of our, of our divine nature peeking through 
the, the veils that, that seem to surround us sometimes and obscure our higher nature, peeking through and just, and just saying, there is more. There is more. You need to seek it. And yet we so often look for excuses not to seek it. You know, this... Um, Swami Kriyananda would, you know, some people would often be inspired by what they see at Ananda Village, what they experience at Ananda Village. And they, they, it's not necessarily their path even, but they want to have that in their life. And they ask him, what can I do? In fact, in the, in the, the Finding Happiness movie, those of you who have seen that movie will, will recall, right, toward the end, the, the star of the movie, this is the movie about Ananda, uh, the star of the movie, who is not a resident, is a professional actress, asks Swami Kriyananda, what can I do to have this in my life? And he gives the answer, uh, get a few friends together. You know, pool your resources, buy some land in the country, and if you can't live out there, well, go there on weekends and have that experience of community and after last year, I was back in New York and uh, showed this movie to a group of people. And afterwards, one of them, uh, who others in the group later assured me must have been a New York lawyer, <laughs> uh, sort of just went right for it. And, uh, and she was determined to explain why none of this is possible. <laughs> uh, ignoring the fact that it really exists, and not only at Ananda Village, but in the Ananda communities in a number of cities. But she just gave reason after reason after reason why this is impossible. And possible for her, in other words, living in New York City, as she does. And I couldn't help but think, you know, if you look for the reasons why something great can't happen, you'll find them. You'll find them. And where will that leave you? you know, it will leave you just where you've been all along. And you know, a spiritual teacher doesn't give us the opportunity for that. A spiritual teacher will, will keep that bar raised high so that we won't be content with the lower. I mean, he could, have, he could have said, get a few people together in your apartment building and uh, you can just make sort of a little community garden on the rooftop of your apartment building and that will be your community. But instead, he put the bar way, way high because otherwise we can be content with something that won't really leave us content. It won't really satisfy. And that's something to really keep in mind as we go through our daily lives is to not get lost in the mundane activities, but always keep our, our eye, as one of Yogananda's most advanced disciples said, you know, keep your eye on the goal ever shining before you. you know, keep your eye on the goal, even as you're taking care of things down here. And of course, that's what makes it difficult because there seems to be that disconnect. A disconnect from, between where we want to go and what we have to do right here. You know, I was, I was reading an article recently 
uh, uh, transcription of a talk by Paramahansa Yogananda. This one I, ha I had run across many years ago, and I hadn't read it in a long time. And uh, so I just thought, well, I'm going to take a look at this one. And the title of it is, If God is Free from Karma, Why Aren't We? And I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, yeah. <laughs> if, we're, if we're a part of God, if we're the ever-perfect soul and God is free from karma, why aren't we free from karma? Well, uh, Yogananda said that he used to argue with God about this. <laughs> Even though he darn, knew, darn well knew the answer, and he would argue. He said, God, why haven't you made this world perfect? You, know, you could have. You could have given us flowers without weeds and, and life without death and, and our daily experiences without suffering and all that good stuff. But you didn't. You, know, you, gave, us, you gave us delusion. Why did you give us delusion? And God would always give the same answer. Do you want to know why, why you're not free? The fact is you are free. You just don't know it. Which is, of course, a very small consolation for <laughs> those, those of us who don't know it. But that's what this outward and inward experience of life is about. It is coming to the place where we do know that we're free free from karma, free from identifying with a limited version of who we are. Once Yogananda said this to a group of his disciples, that the only reason you're not free is because you don't think you're free. And one of them, one of them said, now, if I, you, you, do you mean that if I just, oh, that can't be. If I just said I was free, I wouldn't be free, would I? And Yogananda said, oh yes, but you see, you answered your own question. You said, I wouldn't be. Yeah, you don't think you're free, so you're not. And the question really becomes, okay, maybe we don't yet think we're free, but how do we get to that place where we don't just think we're free, that we, that we know we're free? Free from karma, free from our identification with a limited version of who we are. And he gave three keys to really experiencing yourself as free. And first of all, he said, you get, I didn't put it quite in this words, but you get a, you get a bonus to start with. Because guess what? Every night when you sleep, you're free. Right? You're free of your identity as this human being. You're free of the circumstances around your daily life and the things that are weighing heavily on you. So you get that for free. Okay, eight hours. So probably that might have been true when uh, Yogananda was in the body more. Now it's more like seven hours or six hours. But we get a portion of our day free. So that's a start. But then what about the rest of the day? Well, then he said, well, the time that you're in divine ecstasy, you're free. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that doesn't fill up the other 16 or 17 hours. 
fact, it, some days it doesn't fill up any of the rest of the time. But there are times in, in meditation, and we've all had them, where you might not be in divine ecstasy, but you're no more connected with the weight of karma, the weight of our lower self-identity, than you are when you're sleeping. It's no more immediate to you. So there's some more time right there. But for most of us, that probably doesn't fill the rest of our day. There's still the rest of our day that we need to contend with. And we have trying to get a sense that we're free when we have to deal with all this stuff. We have to take care of business on a, on a daily level. We can't be in that place of, of meditation where we're not having to... to honor our outward obligations. What do we do then? Yogananda said, that's when it takes two things. It takes a pure heart and a mind of steel. <laughs> a mind of steel to ref absolutely refuse to acknowledge, refuse to admit that that <coughs> karma is defining us in any way, is limiting us in any way. And when I read something like that, I tend to, my mentally tend to quote another of Yogananda's disciples who once Yogananda gave him some advice and the disciple said, that's easy for you to say, Master, you're a master. <laughs> and Yogananda's answer was, and what do you think made me a master? It was by doing. No sympathy. <laughs> no sympathy. It was by, it is by doing. And to, to just do it to the best of our ability every day as we're going through our activities to try and feel that place of freedom. And that's when, that's when, when the next step up on that ladder that the Bhagavad Gita is giving us in today's reading, that next step up from giving our failure is, what is it? It's to work in activities pleasing to God, to give those activities to God, to try to feel that God is flowing through us as we do our activities. You know, if we can get lost in that, in other words, lose the little self and just have the experience of what is happening right now is I'm just witnessing God flowing through this body, God flowing through this mind. When we can get into that place, then the karma, the, the seeming burdens of what's going on with our lives just begin to drop away. Because what we're doing is we're starting to tune in to what is really happening. As the Gita says over and over again, says, you don't do anything. You know, you, the I pronoun, God, God speaking, I do everything. There's nothing in this world that you do. There's, you, you have no right to the fruits of your labors. You have no responsibility for the fruits of your labors. Your only responsibility is doing the best you can. And that's a very liberating thought. Our only responsibility is really is not 
is not success, really. It's, I want to read a different translation of that same ladder that the Bhagavad Gita was giving. This one is in Samakriyananda's version. And he writes, Immerse your consciousness in me alone. Direct all your discrimination toward finding me. Beyond any doubt, then, you shall come to me. But if you cannot absorb your thoughts in the contemplation of me, then practice the techniques of yoga intended to help develop concentration. If, however, you find yoga practice too difficult, then perform every action in the thought of me. By this means, too, shall you achieve final success. But if, even while active, you cannot think of me, then give me your intentions. Give me your intentions. God could care less about success or failure, or to put it a different way, having the right intention is success. Regardless of what, what the outward result of our activities is, as Yogananda used to say, God reads the heart. And that we can try to, to cover up the heart when we blow it, or cover up the fact that we've blown it. God knows, of course God knows. And God reads the heart. And Yogananda said, when you make a mistake, look, God is the doer, blame God. <laughs> Thank God, you really, you really blew it this time. <laughs> I remember I mentioned that in the class once and somebody said, boy, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> but but Yogananda said, no, God likes that. God likes that because it's an acknowledgement of the truth of the matter, that God is the door. And of course, then we need to make doubly sure that God doesn't blow it again. But, but, but still, to, to give everything to God, this is the way out of it. It's not to make that heroic leap in one bound to the stars. We would if we could. But to do the little things in each moment, even the little things that are surrounding our failings, to, as, the, as the said, Swami wrote in the, in the reading, to not hold those failings to us, but to offer them up, to offer all that's in us up, our, our failures, losing this here, our, our successes, everything that we are, offer our entire consciousness up. Because the qualities of our consciousness, they're not us either. You know we have consciousness, but we are not that, con that consciousness. We are not th that quality of consciousness. We are consciousness itself. And to offer everything, every temptation that we have, every, to identify ourselves with limitations. I am this way, I am that way, I succeeded here, I failed there. To offer everything up into the light. I used to wonder, how do you do that? If, if, if God is everything, how can you offer up 
anything. There's no place to offer it to. There's no way to hold on to these things to take it from point A to point B. How can you do that? Until I realized later that a large part of this offering up is simply letting go. Letting go of our identification with it. And not you know, clutching error to ourselves or clutching success to ourselves either. But it's not just letting go. It's that one more step of not just disidentifying with it, but to offer it up into the only reality there is so that we can identify with that reality. And when we try to live that, 24 hours, again, as I said, you get sleep for free. Mm-hmm. To do as much as we can of the other hours of the day and to just make our life as much as we can a constant offering. Like, this isn't mine. This isn't me. But in a way of talking to God with that, this isn't me. You need to purify my understanding of me. This isn't something I did. You did it. Uh, and let that be a connecting link between my awareness and your presence. And as much as we can to just bring that divine presence into every moment, we start to realize more and more that we are freer than we used to be. We are less weighed down than we used to be. And above all, that we are more in joy than we used to be, because that's our native state. And as we offer up everything else to God, it's like we're offering up parts of the the veils that keep us from seeing who we are, that keep us from having the experience of God so that more and more of that light can shine into us, can shine into our, our hearts and minds. And we can, as the Gita says, we can clasp God with heart and mind. And then, surely, will we go to God?